Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Your getaway with Apple Vacations begins the moment you step on board one of our exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Escape the ordinary with packages starting at just $599. No layovers, just pure relaxation from takeoff to touchdown. Immerse yourself in the joy of travel with Apple Vacations. Your journey is as enchanting as the destination, so pack your bags and leave the rest to us. Visit AppleVacations.com or call your local travel advisor to book your vacation. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hi, everyone. Sophia Bush here. Welcome to Work in Progress, where I talk to people who inspire me about how they got to where they are and where they think they're still going. Hi, everyone. Happy Valentine's Week. I consider each and every one of you to be my Valentine. Hope that's okay with you. And so on today's episode, I wanted to bring you a little bit of romance or some inspiration around love. You're going to hear my conversation with my friend Atticus. You may know him as the anonymous poet who shares his writing on Instagram. We're going to talk about his choice to remain anonymous, how and why he started writing in the first place, what inspires him. And he's going to share a beautiful poem in honor of Valentine's Day. Enjoy. I feel like this is a perfect medium for you because no one sees your face. I know. That's good. It's just the voice. Do you do podcasts a lot? Yeah, I just started to. All right. Yeah. I held off for a long time, but now I'm having a lot of fun with it. Why did you hold off? um, I just wasn't doing a lot of press at the beginning. I didn't, I didn't want to, I think, you know, I just wanted to keep it about the the poetry, Hmm. but now more fun. Are you enjoying it or is it? Yeah, no, I love it. And like a lot of times it's my friends who have podcasts. And so I'm like, I just go and hang out and chat. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh So it wasn't really about any sort of secrecy because you do readings. I mean, I know you do them in the mask, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, when when I first started this, I really wanted to find a way to connect with with fans, hmm. and you know, but I, I also wanted it was important to me to stay anonymous, hmm. and so I was like, I'm just going to start doing these wearing wearing the mask, and so, then I can like meet people and have mm-hmm. these kind of conversations, and like literally look them in the eye and like shake their hands and say, oh, this is this is a face of the person who's reading the poetry. I loved that. And you don't want them to be able to have the same experience in reverse? 
oh, like, well, they can see my eyes, but it's it's yeah. more just the the important for me to stay anonymous. Like, you know, I mm. and just keep it more about the words and the poems and and yeah. I wonder because I have my own experiences of what it's like to be commodified as a public person. Yeah. And it's a really strange experience. Yeah. And so I've thought about it for you when we were getting ready to do this. And after the last book came out, sort of being so amused by some of what I was witnessing and observing on social media, because yeah. you're my friend and yeah. I know you and we hang out. And <laughs> then there's this whole other perception of who Atticus is. Yeah. And so the, the thought struck me, is there, do you think whether subconscious or consciously, is, is there some part of you that wanted to avoid being commodified as you and just allow the work to kind of stand and speak for itself? Absolutely. Because if I may, yeah. like, yeah. and I, and I mean this to be truly objective, but again, I have this experience. I've, I've literally, especially <laughs> shocker with some very interesting entitled men who will say to me, like, can't you just shut the fuck up and be pretty no. or like stop being political and just let me look at you. Like those are the kinds of comments that I get when I'm speaking on things that I know a lot about and, yeah. and that I've done a lot of research about. And so I only offer that to say that knowing that that is an experience that people have in the public eye, both men and women, you are a good looking person. Sorry, everybody. You can't see his face, but like you're a handsome guy. And I wonder if there's a little bit of wanting to protect your feelings and make sure that your feelings that you're expressing and sharing don't get kind of mixed up and romanticized with your face and, and don't that your face doesn't become part of what sells your work. Yeah. I mean, that, that was that, you know, it, that was a part of it. And, mm -hmm. and it's also like, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people who have recognition and, and notoriety. And, you know, as you know, more than anyone, it comes with a certain, like, it's a double-edged sword. And, and I'm someone who just like wants to be able to stroll through Paris, you know, when I'm not, and don't feel like I need to be on. Mm -hmm. I just want to like take it all in and, and, you know, hanging out with you is, is amazing. Cause I feel like you do set these really good boundaries, even with, with fans. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's important, so important to you that you're, you're not a commodity and they treat mm -hmm. you respectfully. And, and I really respect that, how you, how you do that. Mm, but like, thanks. you know, I find that really, really difficult to, to like put up those boundaries. And so mm -hmm. for me, I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be anonymous. I'm yeah. just, it's important to me. It took me a really long time to learn how to navigate that. Really? Yeah. And, and, and to learn how to advocate for myself and yeah. my right to have a life and my right to take up whatever space I do Yeah. and not constantly be pulled at. It, it took me a while. And, and now I've sort of figured some things out where, you know, if somebody like creepily takes a photo of me, I'll walk up to them and say, Hey, that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. If you would delete that, I'd be happy to take a photo with you. Yeah. Or, you know, if somebody comes to a table when we're having lunch, my, my standard thing is like, if you're here when we're finished with our meal, I'd be more than happy to get up and chat. But right now I'm with my friends or my parents or whoever, but it took me a long time to get there and to feel okay about that. Mm -hmm. Like to feel like I deserved that. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's very cool sometimes when we're all out somewhere 
I'm like, this fucking guy, there's so many people in this room. Like when we all were at U2, think about statistics, right? Yeah. Like, I don't know how many of us, like 40 friends went to that show. Yeah. And we're in an arena. And I was like, there are probably tens of thousands of people in this arena who follow your work and you just get to hang out. Yeah, they're not. Like, yeah, you great. could get hammered if you feel like it. You could like <laughs> I think jump did, on a actually. table. I mean, you know, I think everybody had a really good time that night. But it's it's very cool. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the point of musing about that is, but I think it's I think it's really interesting that it allows you to do what you love and have some personal space. Yeah, and and keep it about like you said, keep it about the words, keep it about mm-hmm. something else, and don't let it let it meld with the rest of my life. I can mm-hmm. keep Atticus, Atticus, and myself, myself. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, it definitely blurs the lines. Yeah, for sure. But. How do you how do you feel when people who might not understand what you're protecting yourself from, who don't have firsthand experience with the commodification of being in the public eye, how do you feel when People say, you know, this, your mask puts a boundary for me. Not knowing who you are puts up a boundary. Like being at a reading, I I read an article where this author was saying that they had a really hard time connecting in the way they wanted to because they couldn't see your face. Yeah. And I, I just wonder, not that that's your problem, but I wonder how you handle that kind of feedback because as much as I know that it's quote unquote not my problem when people say things a version of that to me, I'm like so wounded by it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's important. And, and thankfully it hasn't come up too much, but it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's kind of, as you were saying, you know, you, you just have to set those, those boundaries and they're mm-hmm. important to, you know, this is important to me. And thankfully, like most of my, the people who follow me and the, my, you know, the readers, they kind of like enjoy that they that I'm not a face because mm. then they can just make me into whoever they want, you know, mm-hmm. and they make the words into whoever they want. At least mm-hmm. that's the kind of, you know, response I've, I've gotten, which I love. Actually, I, I was doing this reading recently and, and my, my mask or the one I, I use a lot is reflective. And this, this woman at the end put up her hand and she's like, she's like, I don't know why you, you chose to wear a reflective mask, but I think it's, it's beautiful that it, that it's a mirror because I like to think people see themselves in you. Wow. And I thought it was a beautiful way to put it. And it's certainly not why I chose this mask. It I was love just, that. It just kind of happened. But but I wonder about the subconscious pull to make that choice. I wonder if if somehow that was resonating with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly, cool. you know, I, when people ask me now, it's hard for me not to say, yeah, this is why. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm going to take it yeah. and I'm going to use it. <laughs> Um, I love it. Okay. So let's back up. I I think I can guess pretty well that listeners are going to be like, but how do you two know each other? And (laughs) I always like to explain to people how I've met the people who I know who come on this show, but I'm trying to figure out in real time how to tell the story without revealing anything about who you are. So I can't tell you guys listening what friends we know each other through, because that would be too specific. But I will say that we have some very cool friends in common and one in particular, oh, I don't even want to say that. I'm not going to. Okay. Um, not, not going to. Let's just say there's some, there's some Canadian connection. Good Canadian um, connection. Because people know yeah. that you're from Canada yeah. and like, you know, my dad's from Canada, so I'm very partial. <laughs> um, and we all live in LA mm-hmm. and at a birthday party, we met. And, and became friends. And 
I didn't know for like a while. Yeah. But I I followed Atticus and we were hanging out and I think you finally were like, do you know, <laughs> by the way? And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, I thought you did and then you didn't. And No, it, I didn't know. It's It's funny actually. I mean- I just have, I have a lot of people in my life who are close friends who don't know. Mm. And actually when I first started, I came back after two years of, you know, posting and, and whatnot. And I was having this conversation with my sister and she was telling me all about this poet, this mass poet that she was following named Atticus. She had no idea and she'd been following for two years. What? Yeah. Your sister? <laughs> my little sister. Yeah. Wait, what happened when you told her it was you? Oh, I kept it going for a while, but then I, you know, I eventually let her in to the little secret. And actually she asked me to write a poem when she was getting married for her and her husband. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, but yeah, we met through, it was friends of friends of friends yeah. and you're just like a, such an adventurer. And like right away I was like, do you want to go sailing? And you're like, yeah, let's do it. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, fun. There was literally like no pause. You're just like, hell yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And I, I feel like I gravitate towards people like that. So yeah, I me too. That's kind of how it all started. But. Yeah. Yeah. People who are very likely to throw a duffel bag in the back of the car and go camping or go oh, yeah. on any kind of adventure. Go bag. <laughs> I'm like, let's go. I ha I just have one ready all the time. Totally. Like the back of my car, my trunk is ridiculous. I have like, I have blanket. I have stuff ready yeah. to go. I have like a camping table in the back of my car at all times. <laughs> just in case you never know. Yeah, yeah. So what do you want to tell people without getting too specific and giving anything away? about how you grew up. Cause I always like to ask people, you know, I think for people listening at home so often we meet people where they are yeah. and people have done incredible things or had these incredible careers. And we all were little kids once, Yeah, you know? So, so I guess we couldn't ask you who Atticus was at 10, but who were you at 10? Well, actually that ties into how Atticus came to be in a, in a big way. And I don't even know if I've told you this story. But like kind of the origin of of Atticus in 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 always, but I was in um, France at this thing you know to do with my work, and through a friend of a friend, I met this actor Michael Madsen. Do you mm -hmm. know who that is? He's like yeah. the bad guy from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, he's amazing. Kill Bill. Yeah, his sister is a friend of mine. Oh, cool. Virginia, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really rad people. Yeah, I mean they're 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 incredible, and and I found you know, Michael and I spent a few days together and I just found him to be one of the most profound humans that I've ever met. And mm -hmm. he taught me a lot about fame and like that struggle and, you know, addiction. And, and he told me, he's like, I started writing poetry and in so many ways, poetry saved my life. Wow. And for me, I, you know, here was this American badass motorcycle riding, you know, man's man. And he's like, he's like poetry had saved my life. And I just released a book of poetry and it's like how I deal with my demons. And, and, you know, it was a few days later that I, they kind of, for me, it, for the first time gave me permission to explore that side of myself. And so mm. a few days later I was in, I was in Paris and I wrote that, that first poem. But the reason I said it, it related to, to, to like who I was at 10 years old was that it came, this came out of this conversations with him where I was like, you know, I'm not too happy in what I'm doing. And, and I just feel kind of empty and like unfulfilled. And he asked me this question. He's like, he's like, what did you want to do when you were, when you were young? Hmm. And, and I thought about it for a long time. And I was like, I was like, you know, I wanted to write and I wanted to own a vineyard. 
these are the two things. Like, this is what mm-hmm. I like thought about when I was a kid. Like, I just loved that world. I was so like enthralled with like Paris and vineyards and, you know, and poetry and writing. And he's like, then that's what you should do. And, you know, a few days later, I wrote the first poem and then it, it took me a few years, but I came out with the wine. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Yeah. How does a 10-year-old get obsessed with poetry and winemaking? It wasn't so like when I was or 10 it was kid. like right it was like writing. I used to write in journals all the time and and like I wanted to write movies, I wanted to write. I just wanted to write and and my mom would always like give me these books of like Jack Kerouac. She'd hide them in my room and I feel it felt like I found them, you know, and that's mm-hmm. kind of like how you have to speak to like a a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um and then in vineyards, you know, we just went and like would visit them and we'd like run along the vines and and you know, I was just obsessed with these world, like the oak mm. barrels and this kind of like old Europe. And, and I just wanted, I was like, I know I want to live on one of these. Yeah. I don't think I'd even drank at that point. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. about the wine for me. It was more about like the kind of European lifestyles I found so romantic. And so, mm. yeah, it's, it's funny. It's like, we, 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 we spend our lives chasing truths. We knew for sure as, as kids, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we were we were so much more true to ourselves when we were younger, at least I found. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to do what you do? No. You didn't? No. But it's interesting because I think that who I am has always been in there. I've always been an advocate. I've always been a fighter. Yeah. I've always been crazy about truth, learning, reading, writing. But I, you know, I joke, my, you know, my dad came here from Canada and my mom's mom came through Ellis Island into the United States from Italy. And so, um, you know, where my dad's concerned, I'm a first generation American and where my mom's concerned, I'm second. So I don't really know what that means. 1.5, whatever. Uh, (laughs) I just average. It's fine. But, you know, there is such a mentality in families who've immigrated and it's like, my friends and I joke that with our parents, it's like, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or a doctor or a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> like, yeah. that's what you do, you know? And I, I was joking around about that with my folks recently. And my dad said, you know, I always thought you were going to be a lawyer. You've always argued. You've, you've always been defending people. Yeah. And I, he'd never said lawyer. that to me before. Yeah, I think I would actually. Yeah. But when I was a kid, I think because I I just was like a little nurturer I wanted to rescue animals. I, I always wanted to take care of people. So I, I thought I was going to be a doctor. Yeah. That was my plan. And like by middle school, I wanted to be a pediatric cardiovascular surgeon. Like what? I don't even know how a seventh grader comes up with that. But I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put little kids' hearts back together. Like, hello? Um, there's a Disney movie. Um, and and in middle school, we I went to this incredible all-girls prep school and we had these arts requirements and every semester in seventh and eighth grade you had to do a different kind of art and I put off theater because I had this friend who I'm still friends with my friend Betsy she's amazing but she's like a theater kid she's like a kid who sings and yeah. like I don't know I just I didn't think that was my world listen to my voice like Nora Jones didn't exist yet when I was in middle school nobody knew what to do with me there was no choir I could be in it was not a thing so I put off the play and I finally had to do 
my semester of theater and and I realized in that experience that everything that I love about literature, everything that I love about human story was happening live and and the energy of the group. And then I got super nerdy. And again, like what is wrong with an eighth grader who does this? But I started researching, you know, human oral tradition and got really obsessed with the idea that even before we had written language, we as as people, as evolving beings were passing down information generationally around campfires. Like I got really heady about how important storytelling was. And so then I just did theater all through high school. And then the irony being that I got accepted to like, you know, a 14% a year, really intense theater program in college. And I hated it. I dropped out of it and I transferred into the journalism school and was doing my I was leaning toward doing my emphasis in political science. I was taking a lot of political studies and then I wound up booking a show. (laughs) And so like, I don't know, it's all just so weird, but it's like, in a way, I think for me, I am, I am the best actor I know how to be when I'm really dialed into the world. Yeah. And I, and I use my acting platform to champion the world yeah, and the platform has brought me back to my defense of other people and my love of writing mm-hmm. and my love of public speaking and this podcast and and yeah. it's like when I look back, I realize all of these things were always meant to happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm going to be a vet, and then I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> it was really fun when I my junior year in high school when I told my parents, I sat them down and was like, so I don't think I'm going to go to medical school. Oh no! I think I'm going to get a degree in theater. And my parents were like, fuck. <laughs> but you know, I mean, here we are. It's true. But I think in your own way, you're still putting like little kids' hearts back together. Mm. You know, oh. you're inspiring, you're inspiring young people. Thanks. That's really sweet. In See, a big way. That's a little piece of poetry. <laughs> Okay, so now we've talked about childhood and my story randomly. That's funny. I haven't told that in a while. So what happens? You are growing up in, can we talk about like region? Yeah, Pacific Northwest. So you're growing up in the Pacific Northwest in Canada, which just like is one of my favorite places. (laughs) You are obsessed with vineyards. You love to read. Mm -hmm. Your mom's hiding Kerouac and and other writers, other other yeah. poets. Was she was yeah. she opening you up to poetry? She loved. She's Irish, or like originally Irish English, and, mm-hmm. and so she loved like Irish poets as well. But mm-hmm. a lot of American, uh, and like Emily Dickinson, Sylvia mm-hmm. Plath, Bukowski. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know who's giving their their like thirteen year old Bukowski, but so good though. <laughs> yeah, and then Hunter S. Thompson, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I just became enamored with this, the kind of like romantic poetry, like in Hemingway, you know, I was obsessed with not only his, his writing, but like the man behind it. He was this, like, he was, you know, this boxer and he adventured and he crashed planes and he, you know, mm-hmm. he um, explored like huge parts of Africa and he just had, he was just lived this like bigger than, bigger than himself life. Mm. And I, I really liked that as well. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. How does that begin to propel you forward through high school, through university? What what was your trajectory? Well, you know what's interesting is I I think I think I buried it for a long time, mm-hmm. and you know while I I would read that I I didn't find 
you know, other people. And, and maybe that's just growing up in Canada, but it, you know, they don't push you into that kind of, they certainly don't push you into like a vulnerable artsy side there. They're like, no, you're playing rugby. You're playing, you know, you're playing hockey. I think hockey. that's growing up a boy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think so. And, and I'm just speaking t- to Canada because mm. that's what I know, but I'm yeah. sure like America is the same. It's like, you're getting pushed into football. You're getting pushed into lacrosse. And it's mm. like, I think it's a real problem. But, and, and you're also just taught not to be vulnerable, not to like show emotions. And, and that's why I think it was so profound for me when Michael Madsen, who was this, you know, American badass who was like, yeah, of course I write poetry. It's like, you know, it's in, it saved my life. And, and, you know, he was so, I mean, Madsen was just like showing me Basquiat and, and like, you know, introducing me to all these things that I, yeah, that I didn't know at the time, but yeah, my, my point is that I think I buried it for a long time mm-hmm. and, and it took me years to kind of like have the kind of courage to explore that side of myself and, and be more vulnerable. And, mm-hmm. and it really does change it. Like vulnerability is, is everything. And, and, you know, what I realized, and it took me forever to realize it's like, you can't really have a real, real relationship without vulnerability. Mm-mm. Yeah. At least not to a, to a significant level. No and way. that, the, that that how you make real human connection with someone is is to be vulnerable and to feel safe and exchange vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting, you know, hearing you talk about being pushed away from vulnerable expression and you know into sports and masculine. I'm like air quoting masculine. Yeah, things. I think about that a lot in so many of the conversations that I've been having in the rooms. I've been privy to listen in. Yeah, when we talk about how we relate to each other and especially as a woman and as an activist when we talk about what the world looks like for women and you know here in America one in four girls will be sexually assaulted by the time she's 22 yeah you know and I think about when we cram boys into these spaces where we teach them that the only ways they're allowed to express themselves physically are on fields violently yeah you know hockey and rugby and football those are violent sports and then we teach them that the only emotions that they're allowed to have as men are toughness anger like what we're actually teaching boys is that every single feeling they've ever had is only allowed to come out of their bodies if it's angry yeah and then we wonder why all these men are so angry and are so harmful yeah to to each other and to and to us you know? Absolutely. It's, it's completely a product of, of like how, how we are raised and it's like it's a huge societal problem. And, um, you know, I really do hope that it's getting better. And I, you know, I, you just, you know, getting exposed to this younger, younger generation mm-hmm. and they're just, they seem to be way more aware of that than, mm-hmm. than our generation was. And so I, I, you know, you hope it's going in the right direction, but yeah. you're absolutely right it's like i guess it's just crazy it's the thing that i've been thinking about a lot lately yeah how do you think because i love that michael madsen kind of proving to you that a man can be both Mm -hmm. like blew open your perspective how how did it feel to start like, was it a little bit painful to open up a part of yourself that had been closed off? 
Yeah, I th- I mean, I think so. I think it was more, even less painful, but more like kind of, you know, shy about it. You know, mm-hmm. I was very like shy to be vulnerable. And, and I think, you know, a big part of why I chose to do it anonymously was because I was kind of scared at mm-hmm. first to be like, you know, out putting myself out there in any way and like talking about something like love, mm-hmm. you know, or like, intimacy, like, you know, broken hearts and like, Mm -hmm. you know, things that I'd felt in my relationships, but didn't really know how to, how to articulate. And so, you know, it was hard at first, but I, I just like, you know, I just, I just did it. And the the good thing was no one was following me at first. So I was just like (laughs) messing around and trying things and just like, you know, muddling up poems. And it was just kind of like an experiment at first. And I never expected anyone to follow. And I certainly never expected it to grow and, and become anything other than a creative outlet. So mm. it was very humbling when it did. After you wrote the first poem, how long did it take you to start the account? Yeah. So it was, it must've been just like a, f- a few weeks later, you know, I uh, had an old typewriter and I was like, I'm just going to type typed them up and I took a photo of them and uh, Instagram was just kind of coming around. I was like, I'll just get going to throw it up on Instagram and I'll, you know, pick a, pick a name. I've always liked that name, that the name Atticus. How come? A few, a few reasons. I mean, primarily I just loved it, but also like Harper Lee, you know, Mm -hmm. and Atticus Finch, obviously. But I I later found out that there was this nation of Atticans in ancient Greece from Attica and there were philosophers and poets and I w- really? Again, I wish that I could say this is where it came from, but but I think it was just kind of serendipitous. Hmm. I think though, when things like that happen, not to get too out there, but they feel like little nods from the universe to me. Sure. Yeah. You know, like you're on the right track. Yeah. I've been doing some really interesting, just sort of work and exploration lately, and when I tell you that. Every single time since that started that I look at the clock, it's 3.33 or 4.44 or 5.55. To the point that I've started taking screenshots and sending them to my friend Sam. And she's just like, this is crazy. Yeah, It's not stopping. And I'm like, it's not. I don't know. Whenever I'm thinking about any of this stuff and I look at my watch or the phone, it's – and I'm just kind of like, okay. It's (laughs) so true though. Yeah. There's just something to it. Yeah. For me, I like, I feel like a, a spiritual connection to hummingbirds and How come? I, I don't know why. I just feel like when I, when, when they've been around in my life, I just feel like I'm on the right track for some reason. And then I, as soon as I noticed that it was like, you know, it was the same everywhere. thing. It was like your clocks are lining up, you know, every time I, I felt like I was in a, an important, making an important decision and a hummingbird would just like show up. And I was like, are there even hummingbirds around here? And then, you know, yeah. Plus, I love them. It's interesting. Hmm. One of my neighbors, I have this neighbor who's really old and very cute. And she has her her whole, like, the back of her house is lined in hummingbird feeders. Oh, cool. So she's like the little hummingbird sanctuary in my neighborhood, and it's really sweet. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's it's hummingbirds and, and wolves. I was, when I was maybe like 20... I was, I worked up in the oil fields in Canada one summer and in the forest, I I came across a wolf and you don't ever see wolves. They see like, they'll see you, but you just like, you just don't see them. And it was just this one wolf. And it like, really, I was like, I felt like it was my soul animal. It was, Hmm. it was crazy. Just looked at me and I wasn't scared or anything. It just kind of looked at me. You had a moment. Yeah. What was it like to work 
on a, in, in, in the oil industry. I mean, that's got to be intense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was. It was. I, you know, I was just a young guy trying to, trying to make, make money. Mm-hmm. And I thought it'd be a cool adventure. And so I went up there, but it's, it's, it really challenges you. You know, I worked 72 days straight, not one day off. And it was, I was interesting. And I went back the next summer too. There's, you know what I'll say about it is there was something, and certainly like even now with my life being as kind of complicated as it is, hmm. um, exciting, but you know, complicated, there's just, there's like not a lot of simplicity to it. There was some, something really sim- simple about it. You just like, you go and do your work and then you're done for the night and you just you can relax, read or like watch TV and you just feel like, you know, and then the next day you do the same thing and you just, it's so simple. There's not, you know, and I kind of find myself longing sometimes for that like simplicity. Mm. I had a dream for my next book to like become a shepherd and just like for three months, like live and like just look after sheep you know, and just, just write and sheep and just like try to keep this flock alive because of that simplicity. Mm. You know, I mean, you know, you, you of all people live this kind of whirlwind existence. I'm sure, you know, you're, you're doing everything you're talking, you know, and you take, I'm sure like me, take a lot on Mm -hmm. and you want to, you want to do as much and, and do as much good as you can. Do you ever long for simplicity or do you just, do you just need that? No, I do for sure. But I don't think either of us could like fully live without it, right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I've, I've been kind of toying with the idea, if I could figure out how to do it with work, of picking up and just being on a farm for like four to six weeks this summer. Uh, just being quiet. Yeah. So I don't know, but it's it's hard, you know? And, and I think especially when you when you do what we do, when you work in these creative spaces, it's like the culture of our universe tells you that if you slow down, yeah. you'll be left behind. Yeah. You know, you'll be forgotten. You'll miss opportunities. You'll yeah. stay on the train, you know? Yeah. And something else I've been thinking a lot about lately is who popularized that idea? Because the the people who make everyone, for the most part, who's working, who, who feels like if they stop for even a day, they might lose it. Like it's, it's people in power who've made us all sort of a part of this system. Most likely capitalism yeah, at its core, <laughs> you, know? you know, it's just the, can, it is the, the world we live in, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, um, keeping up with the Joneses, like consume, 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 work mm-hmm. hard. And unfortunately America and Canada I think are some of the worst offenders in terms of, of you have to work, you know, life's about work mm. and life, you know. Yeah. They do it differently in Europe. They do. Do you ever yeah. go on a trip and you're just like, this is what life's about, you know, you know, yeah. taking a siesta or like, you know, just like hanging out, having dinner with your family and friends mm-hmm. every night and drinking wine. And like, you're like, shit, this is what life's about. Not what I, you know, what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I had a Struggle conversation that about that recently with a friend of mine who's also a writer. He's not an anonymous person. His name, do you know Kyle Creek, the captain? He has, he's really salty and funny. Oh, cool. I would love, um, to, yeah. love to meet him. Yeah. He, and he writes books like, you know, titled Fucking History. And they're, <laughs> sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah he's I'll he's check that really, out. really that funny. Great. And he was kind of like, Sophia. 
you got to slow down. He was like, take back your mornings. That's what you're doing in 2020. I'm going to check in on you. You're going to take back your mornings. And we literally talked about what my calendar looks like. Oh, and he wow. was like, this is unsustainable. Yeah. You're my friend. You're crazy. Get your shit together. <laughs> and like, you have to block out. He was like, I'm not kidding. You have to block out three hours in the morning, every morning for you. Yeah. Because one of the things I was saying is I was like, there's all these books I'm meant to read and like, I don't have time to read the scripts I'm supposed to read because I'm running around in meetings and, but I need to read the script for the meeting and the thing that, and he was just like, no, like do your work for you. Read the book, read the script, make the coffee, go for a walk. He he was like, when was the last time you walked around your neighborhood? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I feel attacked. Um, But it was actually really good because it reminded me that conversation and, and I guess I'm offering it for whatever it's worth to you that if we don't carve out time mm-hmm. as creatives for ourselves and for creativity to be at work yeah then then we're just living these reactionary lives where wow. we're doing all the things other people tell us to do and and I I've had this experience where I've sort of blinked and gone wait four months just went by yeah and I didn't get any of that stuff done that I told myself I was gonna do yeah because I've been doing all this other shit yeah and so it needs a, a little bit of a recalibration. There, Yeah, you just constantly need to recalibrate. And I think, you know, it's something that we all all struggle with for sure. I mean, I certainly do. Yeah. Even in terms of writing, you know, it's just like making sure I have that time to write. And yeah. I was going to ask you about that. How do you, how do you work? Do you have a set from this time to this time every day I write? Or do you have certain days of the week? Or like, what's what's your... What's your sort of practice? I wish it was better. Um, but like, you know, ideally I'll get up in the morning, have a coffee and then just write until I can, can't write anymore. Mm-hmm. And then I'll start doing emails and things. It doesn't work like that very often. Um, hmm. And then I do have, for a long time, I had this kind of like writing shack in the back of my house and it was just filled with everything that that inspired me, you know, like my typewriter and like books that I love and like paintings. I love Monet and like, you know, there's just like not real ones, but like, you know, and I just go back there and like oftentimes I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't write anything. I just watch a candle burn, but sometimes I, I, you know, you, you, you get flowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I love that. Even when like the world's asleep and I'm I'm back out there and just mm-hmm. listening to records or, or whatever it is. Yeah, that's kind of like my, my writing routine, ideally. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting that you talk about candles and records because I have all my granddad's records. No I took way. those all home after he passed away, my mom's oh, dad. Oh, cool. And I, I just, I don't know, I love vinyl. I think I'm really lucky. I have some friends who work in music and make music. And yeah. So I've learned a lot about it from them. Mm-hmm. And I also am like a weird, when I find something I really love, like a thing, I'll I'll get 10 of them so that I don't have to worry. Like a candle, that's my favorite thing. I'll just get 10 and put them in the cabinet. So I'm like, what if it gets discontinued, you know? Um, and then I don't have to buy them again for, for two years or yeah, however yeah. long it takes. And recently I had this moment with myself where I was like, but seven of those candles I bought three years ago are still in the cabinet. Like, why am I lighting candles in my house so sparingly? Mm. And why don't I turn the record player on every day when I get home? Yeah. What What am I holding this stuff for? Yeah. Like, what am What's I afraid the time? of? Like, when are you going to do it? Yeah. Um, you know, and part of me was like, if I watch too much of The Walking Dead, like, do I think the apocalypse is coming? Why am I saving this <laughs> shit? And, and so one of my... Um, 
resolutions for this year. I was like, when I'm home, I'm going to turn music on and burn a candle. Amazing. In like, oh, just always that I should just do that for myself. Hundred percent. And it's it is interesting how little things like that making your space more beautiful or more romantic or or just like I have the feeling of the word I want to say and I don't know what it is. It's like a little more tender maybe. Mm -hmm. That puts you in a space of being more creative and more tender. 100%. And, and and we forget to take care of ourselves that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean it's I think what you're describing is like is taking that moment for yourself and and carving that out and like what you find is like lighting those candles that like somewhere in there, those little things, that's life, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not this other like high frequency stuff, like us getting back to emails. That's not really life as it was intended. Mm -hmm. It's like the life is, it was as it was intended is like those moments, listening to records, like having a glass of wine, like just mm -hmm. relaxing or like, you know, and I'm just in constant search of, of those moments. But I had a similar realization to you where, where it's the same thing. It's like a kind of saving candles and, uh, someone needs to write a book, like burn the candles or something <laughs> like that. And it's like, you know, they say- Are we like, going to write a that? life advice book? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I right think so. Did okay. we just go into business I think, together? <laughs> I think we would really do well at that. Right? We could corner both genders and yeah. welcome all people in between and like really have a conversation yeah. about like the masculine, feminine work-life balance. <laughs> this is a side conversation. Okay, yeah. great. Just... You heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> uh, you can pre-order that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a really interesting thing that we forget to do little things for ourselves. Yeah, burn the candles. Use the fine china. What are you saving it for? Yeah. Can't take it with you. Yeah. Uh-huh. Truly. Yeah. What else for you puts you in a creative space? A question I get a lot is like, how do you writer's block? Like what happens with with writer's block and how do you mm -hmm. get get out of it? And and how, again, like, like you said, how do you get into that creative space? And I find for me, like going to that back house and, and listening to records and lighting a candle and, you know, reading, you know, some classics that I love and, and, you know, that really gets me in that, that, that headspace mm. to feel and write. And, and a lot of what I do is like, is like writing from, from things that happened to me, my experiences, but it's also like imagining. It's like, imagine being in love with someone, you know, for 50 years and then losing them. And like, what would that make, like, how would that make you feel? Or remembering, you know, what was it like to, to like, when I was just discovering, you know, a, like girls and, and, you know, my first kiss, my first love, like, what did that feel like? And mm -hmm. that infinite feeling like this is going to last forever. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I love, that's how I kind of get myself into it, but go, to go back to the kind of writer's block thing, if I can't get into it, you know, doing that, I'll, I'm always just like change, change your environment. It's like go to a coffee shop or like, you know, I like to go on my motorcycle or like sailing and just like get my head out of it and get it back into nature. I, I always say like nature is God's free muse because, mm. you know, there's, there's, it can just offer so much in terms of inspiration. And mm -hmm. um, so I like to like hike or, or whatever it is really helps, but also just like hang with friends and just change your, but change your environment. And, mm -hmm. you know, the biggest thing is, you know, Bukowski on his gravestone, he always used to say this, but on his gravestone says, don't try. 
And, <laughs> you know, the point he was trying to make was like, don't go out and, and, and try to write the perfect poem or, or whatever it is you're trying to do creative, write mm-hmm. the perfect song or, you know, just remember that you enjoy it and, and, and do it and write it for the enjoyment of doing it. And the, mm-hmm. the magic will, will certainly come if you can kind of reach that, that flow. Yeah. Is it odd? Because obviously, you know, you talk about it, it's clear how passionate you are about this and you love what you do and you really care about the sort of history and the legacy of words, classic authors, you know, all of those things. Is it hard to navigate being creative in a digital space that does breed so much skepticism and and at times criticism? You know, how, how as a vulnerable person do you process that stuff? Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that, and it's, it's, it's like one of the most common questions I get on online. It's like, I, it's, it's often like young writers being like, listen, I, w- I want to put my work out there, but I'm scared people aren't going to like it. Or like, you know, I'm, I'm just, they're just scared mm-hmm. to put it out there. And, I, and I think that there's always going to be critics and people, you know, there's just, there's just people who are angry for whatever reason. And, and, you know, they're just, they're just sad. And, and typically because of a life they've, they've lived and, Mm. you know, they probably weren't loved enough for whatever reason, that'll always be the case. And it's just like, you just got to not take it personally. And, you know, if, if someone's kind of a, I, I really want the Atticus account to be like a safe place where people can comment and like leave poems on in the comments. And, and so if somebody's like a bully or whatever, they're just gone forever. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, I'm so quick to block. Like, I don't care. There's yeah. not like three strikes or anything. It's just like, mm-hmm. no, I don't care. I can, it doesn't matter. But yeah, in, Instagram to your point is, is like, I think it is a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. certainly. And I think, you know, I, I struggle with it because I, I really see like the negative sides of social media, mm. but I also see the positive sides of it. And it's something I struggle with a lot. You know, it's like, I don't want to spend too much time on on Instagram. I don't think anybody should spend too much time on Instagram or whatever social platform. But I think there are ways you can use it to get your art out there, to meet interesting people, you know, to share ideas and um, to grow industry. But I think when you know, when it's used for the wrong reasons, when you start comparing yourself to these mm. people for, you know, that you should never be comparing yourself to, mm-hmm. that's where it gets really, really dangerous and really, really sad. Do you know Glennon Doyle? No, who's that? Oh, she's a phenomenal author. I'm going to get you her book. She's, I love, yeah. You will love her. Uh, and she always says this incredible thing. She says, don't compare your insides to someone else's outsides. Totally. Oh yeah, that's amazing. It's I wish I wrote so that. good. I know, right? Same. I'm like, damn. Yeah. That's it. It's a and good one. Because you know, when we sit and scroll, like we're inside of ourselves, but we're just looking at this two dimensional oh, yeah. snapshot of everyone else. Everyone's and, highlight reel, you know. Yeah, and we forget. Yeah. We forget. Yeah. Because it looks like no one else is suffering or scared or struggling or, you know, trying to balance or losing a parent or whatever's going on. And it's spooky. You know, you know, one thing I've, and I I don't know if you've realized this too, but 
so many of the, the, the seemingly happiest couples who post on Instagram more than anybody. And mm. it's like this perfect little relationship. The amount of times I found out that they're just like, they're completely unhappy or whatever it is. And like, mm -hmm. they're just doing this to almost prove to themselves that they're happy. And I think that goes, you know, that's pretty telltale for the whole, the whole thing. It's like, you know, yeah. people posting their, their fancy cars, you know, you know, <laughs> probably yeah. don't have as much money in the bank as you think they do. And yeah. So mm -hmm. it's, yeah. And, and we, it's something we all know, but it's just important to remember that, you know, it's not quite, it's not what it seems and, and go on. Mm -hmm. Like I've really made my Instagram something that I try to like, ins it, that inspires me. I follow mm -hmm. like, you know, like vineyards and things like that. I'm going <laughs> back to that. Um, or like old houses or like old mm -hmm. motorcycles and like, rather than, you know, you know, super more superficial things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love that reminder that you're allowed to unfollow anyone or anything that makes you feel bad about yourself. Hundred percent. Don't put that Be in front so of your own quick face. To do that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Don't but, give them permission to, to yeah. show you that stuff. Yeah. yeah. No one can make you feel bad unless you let them. Yeah. Which I get as a logical statement, but it's a struggle to live that way. And so, Constantly, I think it's up yeah. to us to kind of manage our own experience and and to and to really police what we allow to touch us. Yeah. You know, we're we're porous beings. Yeah. And we forget sometimes that we're not just tough. Yeah. That whole idea of like grow thick skin. I never want to do that. Yeah. I never want to do that. I I know that my wanting to be as vulnerable and emotionally open as I am has kicked my ass mm -hmm. at times in my life. I've really some people have gotten close to me who shouldn't, Yeah. but I would rather take the heartbreak of being let down than miss all the joy of, of the people who show up and stay. Totally. You know? I just got shivers. Yeah. I mean, that, that's it. It's like, life's too short not mm -hmm. to, not to put yourself out there, not to continue being vulnerable because, you know, you can't let the the, the bad ones ruin the good ones. Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about wanting to cultivate some of that in the space of the account, and, and you said something I thought was so interesting that you want to make sure people can leave poems in the comments. Do people do that a lot? Yeah. I mean, the amount of people that, that are like, check out my account or just like little snippets of, of poetry and just be like, Hey, just came up with this. I love that, you know? Mm. And, and, you know, I'm sure you find the same thing, but you can't, you can't get back to everybody, but mm -hmm. you know, I do. And people will send me poems, like mail me poems, or like, if I do one of these talks, they'll, they'll hand me them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I read every single, every single one that they, they, they give me like the handwritten ones. It's like my favorite thing to do. And you can't get mm -hmm. back to everybody and tell them how much you loved it, but you know, you, you can spend time with it and really like feel, you know, get in their side, their heads. And so I just have like a bucket of it beside my couch and I'll, whenever I have a moment, I'll just like start reading them and I, I, I love it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I do try to cultivate a really safe space. It's like, you know, I, I feel like it's such a collection of, of people who on the internet who, who want to talk about love or like who, who like want to talk about these positive things and not the negative things mm -hmm. and like who are vulnerable and are, and so many times and they are poets or writers and, and it's a really safe place. So, so if anybody's not in that vibe, they're gone, they're yeah. gone and not come back. Yeah. 
I'm sure that's really nice for people to hear too, you know, that you care to protect people you don't even know. Yeah. How would you, for people who are listening who maybe don't know your work, Yeah. I probably should have asked you this first, but here we are. <laughs> how would you describe, how do you describe it? How do you talk about your poetry? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I started out writing short things. Like I, I like writing like epigrams and aphorisms, turns of phrase. It's like, mm-hmm. that's just like, I, w- I wanted to say a, as much as I could with a little bit. Mm. I've just always liked doing that. I've, I've enjoyed it. And so like a lot of my things are really, really simple and, and, you know, incredibly simple, but I'm trying to say a lot with a little and like some do that, some, you know, are terrible, but you know, you just, it, Instagram for me is just like such, and all social media is, is such an, a playground. You know, I'm just like trying things out. I'm like, what if we just like rethought this, you know, and like change these words and like, you know, a lot of them, some of them won't, won't make perfect sense. And like some, some speak to people, but mm-hmm. it's just like, and the books are obviously like more, more honed in and like choose like, you know, more refined, but yeah, Instagram is just a, a playground. And, you know, uh, the themes I like to talk about are, are pretty consistent through it. I like to talk about kind of like you know, infinite youth and like living infinite, infinite summers and like, you know, like living forever and like, uh, the galaxies and like going, going to Joshua tree and, and like drinking wine under the stars with your friends and, and like heartbreak and, and Mm. young love, um, and old love Mm. and, um, travel and adventure. And, and I'm I'm a really nostalgic person. Mm -hmm. I think I really looked up to my, my grandparents and, and in a lot of ways I find, find I'm always kind of chasing that, that dream, kind of like a Gatsby-esque, you're chasing the past. Mm. Did you love Midnight in Paris? I loved it. Yeah, (laughs) I did. I've seen that movie so many times. It's yeah. like one of one of my favorite movies. But yeah, that, exactly. I was I was actually going to bring it up. So you're on top of it as usual. But yeah, it's the same thing. It's like you're always, you know, that that their whole point that uh, Woody Allen was trying to trying to say is like you're always chasing. Every generation was in some ways chasing the past mm. or nostalgic for the past. It was always better in the past, you know. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, I think, you know, we wouldn't know what to do with the past if we, if we, if we ever caught it, mm-hmm. but yeah. So that, that, that's kind of like the, the, the world that I, I like to write in and yeah, it's kind of what I, what I enjoy. So I find something about that really interesting because when you talk about looking back on experiences, you know, each of us knows what it was like to fall in love for the first time mm-hmm. before you knew what it felt like to have your heart broken. Mm-hmm. So you were just you were so willing to be so big in it. Yeah. We didn't have scar tissue yet or bruises no. to work around. And by the way, um, that there's something so incredibly pure. I like to, I like, that's why I feel like I like to write about it so much because mm-hmm. of exactly what you're saying. It's there's something so pure about that mm-hmm. first, that first love or the first couple loves mm-hmm. uh, that you're just convinced in your heart that this is the person, mm-hmm. that this feeling, no one has ever felt this feeling before and that it'll, that'll last forever. It's infinite. Yeah. Yeah. And I think reflecting on that, especially with the human brain's tendency to be blurry when yeah. we're being nostalgic, you know, years out from something that wasn't great for you, you're like, it was pretty good. Yeah. You know? Looking at these photos. Uh, yeah, that was, that was special. <laughs> uh, we kind of forget, which I think is merciful in a way, but. 
then you you talked earlier about how you also will sort of forward project and imagine mm-hmm. a love like your grandparents' love, for example. Yeah. Does it feel odd ever to try to write about something that you haven't experienced yet? Yes and no. I mean, if you know, part of my um, part of like what I what I try to do is like really get into that mindset and really try to like you know own it and and use my imagination of what it, what it would feel like. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm writing about it, I feel like I'm in it. Mm-hmm. I, I try to make myself sad about losing this person I loved after 50 years or like, what would that feel mm-hmm. like? And you kind of picture it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and when something is written in a way that it gets to you, you know, you were saying, um, that sometimes you'll think about how to just change words around, you know, to get mm-hmm. your creative brain going. And Hemingway wrote, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Wow. And that, like, it, when I tell you that it makes me feel nauseous and want to burst into tears, like, it just makes me so sad. Yeah. And that's not been the experience of my life ever, thank God. Yeah. But there are things that, people have been capable of explaining in ways that remind us of truths we know mm-hmm. and that that can really make us feel like that one cuts me so deep because I just can't imagine it and I yeah. don't ever want to. Yeah. And it is a job of a creative person to create worlds. Yeah. You know, no, no one ever wonders why someone writes a film script, you know, yeah. or an episode of television. And, and so... I guess I'm curious about how, when you're writing poetry, you explore some of those things and give yourself license to, because, and I guess it's different for me because I know you as a human, not just your work, which you know I love, but um, I know what a champion you are and like what a good guy you are to all of us, like Uh, all of the women in your lives. But when I do research, I obviously come up on a lot of things and I've seen some people express frustration that you have written poetry from these sort of perspectives of women, like that you'll start a poem with she blank or she, you know, whatever. And to me, I'm like, it's a love poem. Like, what are you upset about? But does that, do do you worry about that ever? How how do you, because here I am projecting all my thoughts about it onto you. I know, no. What I really need to do is just ask you about it. How do you, how do you talk to people about why you write about women the way that you do and and perhaps why you feel okay about writing from their perspective sometimes. Yeah, and it, and it's a really good question and and it's important and it's hard for me to know why why I like doing like why I like doing that and and why I've, I've done it and where it came from other I think it helps that I have three sisters. I'll mm-hmm. say that. You know, and and growing up with them and just seeing their journeys through things and seeing their kind of heartbreak and their relationships and their, you know, their struggles and, and how they were kind of same, but different than mine. Mm. I always found that I'm really, really close with my sisters. And then another part of it is, is like, I really think that, you know, feminine masculines on this, this spectrum, right? Me too. And I think that, you know, where you, you're kind of writing from the feminine and you can write from the masculine. And I, I think, I think that, you know, something that I love is when I write she and he, and then, you know, somebody sends me something back with like, he scribbled out and then she on there, you know, and they, they Mm. change it. And I love that, you Mm. know, 
um, make it fit you. And it's just like, you know, I'm, I, I guess I'm just like, I, I'm writing from, you know, I'm trying to write from the feminine and I'm trying to write from the masculine. And it, like, I don't think that there should be any rules around, around that. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, again, you're like imagining what it mm-hmm. would feel like. What would it be like to be a, to be a woman who's like, you know, having her heart broken. I think I, I feel my sisters a lot of that time. Mm-hmm. And, and I wish more men asked that question. Yeah. I, yeah. I do. And I wonder when, when you said that, when you talked about your sister's experiences that you've been through with them, part of me, I just had this sort of thought where I went, oh, I wonder if you're processing what you take on as a witness. Because when we love people and we witness them struggling, it's, it's painful for us too, you know? And I would imagine as the man that you are, it's painful for you to watch your sisters be hurt or suffer. And because you've chosen to tap into vulnerability and be expressive about it, you're not going to hold on to those feelings and then smash them into some sort of amorphous thing that you then throw at someone on a court, yeah. you know, or a field somewhere. Yeah. You are taking real emotion and and doing something with it so it doesn't stay in your body, which yeah. I think we would all benefit from. Totally. I mean, I, 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 and you know, it goes back to, to Michael Madsen and he, you know, that's how he, that's what helped him process these things. And I think, you know, that's, and I'm so, so imperfect and, and, you know, we're all just like trying to do our best. Mm -hmm. And, and this is me like trying to process, I I think exactly like you said, it's like trying to process things, trying to work these things out. And like, I don't have the answers. I just have like what I feel and what I see and mm-hmm. what I, you know, know from my my family growing up or like, you know, even like seeing my parents break up and like writing from my mom's perspective or writing from my dad's perspective because mm-hmm. I I you know, a part of me is empathetic to to both. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's it's you know, so so I I kind of tr- tr- I do try to draw on that a lot and and mm-hmm. I think a lot of what comes out is me, me processing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, exactly like you said. Yeah. Making art is cathartic. Oh, the most. And it's also really hard. Like I've, I've realized that there are times when I, in order to make something, I have to crack myself open in a way that I don't want to. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. Mm-hmm. But if I don't, I'm not, I'm not making the thing completely genuine. Yeah. And so it it really does require a lot of intense experience with the self to do that. You have to fly pretty close to madness to create greatness. (laughs) What do you think is the best advice you've ever received about writing? What makes you feel comfortable with that? I mean, that Bukowski, like, don't try meant a lot to me. And then somebody else said, write, write for the, the garbage basically. So like, just, if you're struggling, just, just write and be willing to throw it all away. It's like paint a painting and be willing to throw it all away Mm -hmm. and don't make it about that. It's like, find your love of writing. Mm -hmm. And that's when the magic happens or find your love of painting. If you really do love it and, and you can, you know, then magic will come. Mm. That's just how it works. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the, that is the best advice for me because it kind of freed me 
you know, particularly as, as, you know, publishers are like asking for more books and things. And I had to like write more regimented. It was like, don't, don't try too hard. Just, just write, just enjoy it and just mm-hmm. continue writing. And it's, you know, it's an imperfect science, but you just do your best. Yeah. Not to put too much pressure on it. Yeah. Cause it's when you put pressure on the making of the thing that you cease to be able to make it. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's such the quintessential never ending struggle of any artist or creative person is that you have to be regimented yet free. Yeah. There are some days, like I've had days on sets where I'm just like, give me one minute. I just, I need, I need to walk literally just out of this room we've built for this yeah. and like shake my body out and yeah. come back in and, and remind myself that I, I can just keep, I can try all sorts of things. Totally. You know, I, I remember years ago I worked on this um, project and Charlize Theron was a producer and also like try to do anything in front of Charlize Theron. She's not only the most talented actress on the planet, she's so abnormally beautiful that like you can't <laughs> stop staring at her. And I just lost my ability to say words. Um, but <laughs> she was telling me this story when I was, we, we got into this just really beautiful conversation about exactly this, like creativity and how you take risks and all of that. And she was telling me that this experience she had on a set changed her life early-ish in her career. Um, And I won't say who the person is because it's not my story to tell, but her lesson was the thing that was so cool. So she's working on this movie with like all of these very famous actors. And one of them is just like, she can't believe she's doing a movie with him. And this is the first time she's on set with him and she's just so excited and they're doing the scene. And he said to the director, like, I have no idea how this one is supposed to go. You know, let's find it. Mm. And she says, she watches him do the first take and she's like, what was that? And then they go again and she's like, what was that? Like, oh my God, all I've ever wanted my whole life is to work with this person and he's clearly lost it. Like what's happening? And he does a third pass and it's not much better, very different, but like everything just feels weird. It's not working. And you know, when, when you're filming something, if it doesn't work, it it creates like physical anxiety in everyone in the room because you're just like, what's happening? Yeah. It's wrong. Everything's wrong. I'm uncomfortable. Interesting. Yeah. And then she said they got to take four and it was the most brilliant thing she had ever seen. And he went, that's the one. Took a second to find it. Whoa. And he was so confident that he was like, oh no, you have, and, the, and she asked him about it later and he said, you have to fail big to win big. Wow. And he was like, that's, that's the job. We're, we're on a set. We're protected here. Yeah. You try everything to find the best right thing, which, which then made me think like, oh, you have to be willing to do the biggest worst thing. Yeah. And we've all been trained to not ever make a mistake, to not fail, to not ever act, you know, God forbid anyone thinks I don't know what I'm talking about, or I don't know the answer to that question, or I don't know how to do this, or I'm going to try it. And if I'm not perfect, I'm never going to do it again. It's the antithesis of creation. Yeah. Is this expectation of perfection. Totally. Wow, what a so cool I like story. That. I like that right for the that. garbage can. That's very cool. That's a great story. Would that be your advice to other people who want to start writing poetry? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, on, on to add on to that, it's like, you know, if you're if you're scared about starting and 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 um you, you know you're just just do it just mm-hmm. just just start you know mm-hmm. and you can it you'll figure it out as you go along and you'll find your voice but just start writing and find your en- enjoyment for it mm-hmm. and don't try too hard 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that famous saying, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Oh, again, I wish I wrote that. I know, me too. Uh, God. So many smart people have said so many smart things before us. <laughs> totally. There's some quotes where I'm just, or like, you know, pieces and poems. Mm. And I'm just like, wow. Wow. How did someone write that? Yeah. I did, I get it with Fitzgerald a lot who wrote Gatsby, obviously, but you know, there's some, some, some of his phrases and that are just, you know, they're just so mm. poetic. Beautiful. Do you have a favorite piece of poetry? Yeah. There's one by Fitzgerald called Summer Storm, which I love. But there's also a line in Gatsby, and I'll, I'll probably butcher it. Or, but it, it's something, something like, the ripple of her voice was a wild tonic in the rain. What a beautiful, what a beautiful thing to say. I, I, you know, I read that, and I read it like ten times. I was like, holy shit! Mm-hmm. <laughs> How beautiful. Yeah. What a He's way an to artist. Yeah. Explain something. Yeah. So what's next? I have a big idea and I haven't, I haven't told too many people, but I have a, I have a big idea for my fourth book. Not the idea of sheep. (laughs) It's different. Be a shepherd and uh, disappear for a few years. No. So the, for my fourth book, I'm, um, I want to, to write like a love story, a novel. A novel. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. Mm -hmm. Does that feel scary? Yes, but I think it's a new challenge. And I think that it's, I think the world wants this kind of thing. Mm. I think the world wants, a, you know, more, more love stories. There's so much darkness in the world. And I think just, yeah. just telling clean, good love stories. And I, I think I've got it in me. So that's the idea. That's exciting. And yeah. now you said it, so you have to do it. Damn it. Can you cut that? No, I'm kidding. I will not. <laughs> no, keep it in there. So I have to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that and as then, your friend, I will not cut. Oh, that. thank you, I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, yeah, and then the the wine, uh, and then I've got uh, my my podcast, Naked on Cashmere, too, which is is like a micro podcast. It's it's a, just a poem a day, and it's it's basically like helping people who want to just like bring more poetry into their lives, but also just like take that moment of relaxation, a moment of mm-hmm. zen, and just have it like most of them are less than a minute. Uh, and certainly less than two minutes. And it's just like a quick poem with music. I release it every day. And it's just like a moment of Zen, a moment mm. for for you, you know? I love that. And it's called Naked on Cashmere because it's supposed to feel good. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Spicy. Spicy, yeah. Who's doing the music with you? I, I a bunch of A bunch of different artists. And, but we have like libraries as well that we have. That's but, yeah. so fun. Yeah. Because you've been... Getting into the music space. Yeah, a little bit. Can we I did. talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I was like, do people know? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, well, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Kygo? Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that, that's been, a, that was incredible. You know, he reached out to me and was like, listen, I'm doing this live tour. I'd love to have like poetry between, you know, the sets of the songs and, you know, have like a boy's voice and a, and a girl's voice and have them kind of like having this dialogue. Mm. And, and he's like, would you write it for me? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. It sounds amazing. So I came up with all these poems and yeah, I don't know if you've, if you've seen the, the Kygo in the last couple of years, but or last year uh, on his live show, but uh, yeah, those, those are all. Uh, I just I saw those. the video you sent to me. It was oh yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's, it was a, it was a blast and I, I love his music. And so. Yeah. Um, he's great. 
but I, I'd like to do I'd like to do more stuff in music. I mean, poetry and and music aren't aren't that far apart. <laughs> Certainly, lyrics and cousins, and if you cousins, will. yeah, yeah. And I think for me, it excites me. You know, it excites me as your friend, but it also excites me just as a person in the world that these avenues are opening for a man to more and more be publicly writing poetry. Mm. I feel like it's really excellent to set that example. You know, we Thank talked you. earlier about the sort of double-edged sword of social media. Yeah. But I think it's important for voices that are active and political and thoughtful and vulnerable and artistic yeah. to take part in those spaces because without them, what do those spaces become? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think there will be men and boys who are trying to find their way in the world who will be inspired to perhaps process a little bit differently because they see a man processing differently. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's what happened to me, you know? And so if I can return that favor in mm -hmm. any way, because it really has changed my life and changed my, certainly my relationships and, mm -hmm. and really helped me, you know, you know, get rid of the ego and, and be more vulnerable and, and, you know, come into relationships, all my relationships like that. Mm -hmm. So if I can return that favor in any way, I love the idea that it could ripple out. And, mm -hmm. and certainly, you know, I get, I get hit up all the time by, you know, young kids and young boys in India who like are, are writing poetry or like people who are starting their accounts. And I love that. I mean, that's just the biggest gift ever is, is, is someone saying like, I read your work and it's got me inspired and to, 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 to be, yeah. to be a poet. And like, those are the, all the next big, big poets. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Hmm. So everyone who sits on that couch has to answer this question for me. Oh, okay. The podcast is called work in progress. So when you hear the phrase, what in your life comes to mind? What's a work in progress for you? I'm a work in progress. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to, to work on myself and be a, be the best version of myself I can be and, and be the best human I can be all, all around in, in how I show up and the philanthropic stuff I'm doing and, and, you know, just, just trying to be a better, a better person. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's an imperfect science for sure. And, and all we can do is try to be better. Mm. Yeah. I like it. Thanks, bud. Do you want to read a little Valentine to the audience? <laughs> yes, I can. Which one did you pick? You know what? I'll read the one that I wrote for my little sister and uh, her husband when they, got, when they got married. Okay. It's called My Fate. Does the sun promise to shine? No, but it will. Even behind the darkest clouds. And no promise will make it shine longer or brighter. For that is its fate. To burn until it can burn no more. So to love you is not my promise. It is my fate to burn for you until I can burn no more. It's a good Valentine. <laughs> this show is executive produced by me, Sophia Bush, and Sim Sarna. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnick. Our associate producer is Caitlin Lee. Our editors are Josh Windish and Matt Sasaki. And our music was written by Jack Garrett and produced by Mark Foster. This show is brought to you by Brilliant Anatomy.